Welcome to the XR Magazine podcast. Dive deep with us into the mesmerizing world of immersive tech, where we bring you conversations with the trailblazers of XR, AI, and spatial computing. If you're curious about what's on the horizon and eager to be inspired, you're in the right place. Tune in and let's explore the digital frontier together. Today, we're speaking with Michael Kipfer, who is a principal and design director at Mancini Duffy, who spearheads research and development efforts for the firm. Michael has a decade of experience working in the architectural design industry. Currently, he is the lead project designer and manager for some of Mancini's most significant large-scale master plan development and implementation projects. He is also the co-founder and director of the Design Lab, Mancini's Duffy's Research and Development Wing. In keeping with the firm's commitment to pushing the boundaries within the architecture and interior design industry, the Design Lab is a setting where designers and architects experiment with technologies that can solve issues in design and streamline the design process and integrate them into the firm's practice. Michael formulates goals and directs film initiatives related to emerging technologies like 3D printing, virtual reality, augmented reality, generative design, and drones. In addition, Kiefer works with in-house software developers and designers to integrate technology into the film's everyday operations using Mancini's unique 360 design process and patent pending the tool belt software. I can't wait to begin this amazing podcast. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here today. We're super excited to have you here. How is everything going in New York? Everything's good. Everything's good. Um, it's always it's always a fun place to be, so trying to just enjoy everything. Yeah, I can imagine. Thank you so much. We'd like to begin with getting to know a little bit more about you, perhaps your background, your story, so we can start to understand all your role in this amazing company and with all your creations. Definitely, definitely. So my name is Michael Kipfer. I'm a principal at Mancini Duffy. Uh, it's an architecture, interiors, and planning firm. Uh, we're based in New York City, obviously. And um, we, uh, we have a really interesting um, a wing of our of our firm. It's called the Design Lab, and I um, help help run the Design Lab with a couple other team members at our firm. Um, and then we we specifically made a software. Uh, we've been developing it over, I guess, the last eight years, and it's called the Tool Belt. Wow, that's amazing! I didn't expect that. Like about yeah. the software, we're gonna get into that. But I think that now that you mentioned and went right to the point, I like to know a little bit about the experience of creating the lab, because in traditional architecture, and I've seen this phenomenon, I've spoken with architect, architects myself, and they tell me sometimes the challenges that when they have the vision, architecture is a tradition, a traditional profession. And sometimes for them, it's difficult to translate this vision into the company where they are. So I am admiring a lot Mancini Duffy because of its own 
objectives of its own mission, vision, etc., which is translated in this. They decided to create a design lab. I like to know how was that breakthrough, how did it come to life, and how it is now, the design lab. Yeah, the, the design lab is, you know, it, it was a vision um, kind of brought on by our firm's president, uh, Christian Giordano. Um, and he came to me one day and he said, uh, you know, Michael, we, we really have to figure out um, kind of new ways uh, of doing things. It, you know, architecture, as you mentioned, is just so traditional and we need to find the new edge. How do we get the firm kind of uh, producing better design, right? Um, uh, more efficient design, how do we, you know, get the edge uh, with the clients, um, and how do we just do cool things? I think a lot of us in school, uh, you know, we always get to play with things, and we get to, um, you know, design really exciting prompts, and then we get to the real world, and you know, we kind of get uh, slapped in the face with kind of what reality is, right? So, keeping the designers constantly thinking and keeping them um, engaged so that someone doesn't kind of fall into kind of a tunnel tunnel vision has always been a big goal of the design lab, just an incubator for the firm uh, to keep us going and to keep us kind of um, relevant. That's amazing. I was gonna mention, yeah, that's an important part specifically in the architecture field. And is that, I've also heard many of them saying in engineering something happens something similar happens as well. But I've I've been hearing them saying, I thought I was gonna create these amazing buildings in the world, right? Like the buildings that don't exist because in during the studies you take a lot of time to try to develop that side, the creativity, materials, and bringing many, many methodologies together. But when they are in the workplace, they are faced with the situation of, okay, so we have to create a complex apartment and it's a, a cookie cutter, <laughs> just mm -hmm. and just handling documentation, uh, all of these things, boring things. But it's amazing that Mancini decided to do this. And so in the design lab, what type of technologies or what type of specific projects do you used to bring to life that creativity that you're speaking so they can integrate it in the firm? Yeah. So the design lab focuses um, really on anything, but a couple of the, the key technologies that we really like to explore um, are definitely uh, virtual reality and augmented reality or under the, the vague cover of mixed reality. Um, and then we also explore 3D printing. Uh, different ways to to kind of manufacture different types of of um, product design or architectural design, interior design. Uh, specifically in three D printing, though, you know, I always like to say um, architects are always known for making three D print printed replicas or scale models of their buildings, but three D printing offers a lot more um, than just scale replicas. It's a way to really uh, take an idea and bring it to life uh, in the form of product design. So what we've been exploring a lot in, in the lab uh, with our designers is, you know, um, tabletop objects or furniture objects or installations that could be installed over a wall or on a ceiling, um, lighting fixtures, things like that. 
uh, that the 3D printer could help you realize um, to full scale, you know, 3D printing full scale objects and instead of 3D printing smaller scale replica objects. Mm -hmm. um, other, other areas we explore are definitely AI these days. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there right now with AI. Um, we specifically have been just looking at uh, ways that AI could could help our design process. We're obviously not looking um, for it to completely overtake things, but um, just using it as a tool. And so what we do is we have a lot of our um, team members take the the various types of softwares, web prompts, things like that, and and find ways that it could help us and assist us and create kind of a um, maybe like a rule book or some sort so that all of our designers at the firm can can better understand how to use it to help them. Um, there, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff we do in the lab, you know, definitely like parametric parametric modeling, you know, writing scripts to help you detail a facade really fast or mm -hmm. writing a script to help you test fit, um, let's call it 80 desks over, um, over an office area uh, instead of having you to do it all by hand. So a lot of things that just streamline our process and enhance our design ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds super interesting, particularly, of course, the integration with artificial intelligence, because again, architecture has been a very traditional field. And sometimes there is a barrier there in terms of how much we could actually implement it without being so obtrusive with the work that we do, because sometimes, you know, we have to go through those evo evolution process. But speaking about that, how particularly you're using these type of technologies? Is it concept? Is it rendering? Is it what the stages specifically? And what have you learned from the process? What things do you feel that still it cannot work for, for certain things? It's definitely toward the beginning of the design process that we're starting to experiment with the AI models, um, particularly just so I guess an easy way to, to think about this is when we get a client, one of the first things we do is a visioning session. And a lot of times you'll take uh, previous projects that you've done um, and you'll you'll post them up on a wall and you'll say, um, hello, client, uh, which which of these spaces um you know compels you what 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 space inspires you what space um is really close to your vision and you know uh, through various types of of colors materials textures uh glass facades versus metal facades or you know blue colors versus gray colors uh the clients start to pick things uh pictures and we start to narrow in on maybe what their aesthetic will look like uh but there's only so many images out there. A lot of times the, you know, just Google or Pinterest or things like that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make these collages to help the clients see what they like. Um, but what's really interesting with AI, especially some of the image generation models is we can still uh, generate images of an environment or of an idea um, and give them that selective interactive process of them trying to talk about what they like but it doesn't have to be very, um, like you don't have to find it on Google, you can actually use your imagination. Mm -hmm. So if I say, 
if uh, let's say we're doing a restaurant and the client's talking about, I want something dark and moody and subterranean, or I want to have a lot of woods, or I want a mid-century inspired thing, we can start using the prompts and those uh, image generators to really think about like, okay, what what is the aesthetic or what, what are uh, attributes that go into the aesthetic of subterranean, right? And you can start creating these moods and these scenes and have the client react to them. Mm -hmm. And then what we can do as designers is actually take that, um, whatever is coming out of there, obviously we calibrate it extremely, you know, it's, it's not like we just type something and then show it to the client. It's uh, constant iterations of like, okay, what is the mood that's in my mind right now? Um, without me having to completely model it or Photoshop it, uh, and, you know, it's all just for a very simple exercise. So we take that, that kind of final mood. Um, and then we, you know, we, we start going into actual conception, actual form finding in some of more of our traditional ways, or, uh, maybe not traditional ways. Cause we're still, you know, using video game engines and, and, you know, advanced modeling techniques, but we start to apply more of the process where our hand is actually creating things instead of AI. So it's, it's kind of, um, you know, it's a very uh, beginning um, vision that I think it helps us create at a at a at a faster rate than than maybe some traditional methods. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You mentioned maybe not so so much of traditional because you're using um, um, game engines or things like that how you are using it or integrating in the process that sounds super interesting because these are tools that used to be known for other fields but now we're seeing it entering into other more traditional fields like engineering construction architecture so how you particularly are using these en engines yeah it's um it's actually been kind of a centerpiece of the lab um and and one of the main uh, the main initiatives that we have. So, you know, if, if you go back about eight years ago, um, when we were kind of just talking about the lab, um, Christian and myself, uh, VR was kind of at its early infancy. When I say VR, virtual reality, um, it, and not early infancy as it was just being created, but in the architectural world, the accessibility to virtual reality. Mm -hmm. uh, you had to know very specific software. You had to know how to export and prep your models. And you had to know a, a bit of coding as well, just to make sure your materials mapped and you were able to walk around a space and not you know, fall through the floor and fall into affinity. Um, so you know, we kept on saying, how do we get this uh, virtual reality tool to where everyone in our office could use it. All of our clients would have access to it and it could be a little bit more user-friendly. And um, we actually went out and hired a full-time developer to work at our firm um, internally, all overhead, all R&D budget. And his name's Jeff, Jeff Anderson. He's still with us and still you know, cranking away um, at the software we ended up developing. We call it the tool belt. And um, it all started just with how do we get this out of our architectural uh, software? So uh, our architectural software, we use mostly um, Autodesk Revit. Um, and in Revit, you have extremely detailed 
models. Uh, you know, the, it knows the thicknesses of the walls. It knows that when you draw a wall, it's a bunch of studs and jip and things like that. Whereas, you know, in, in other kind of more old school CAD formats, when you draw a wall, you're really just drawing a box that looks like a wall. Um, but Revit knows kind of everything. And sometimes when you're talking about virtual reality, uh, it's, it's really, um, it's way too detailed for someone to walk around in VR and have to process all that geometry at once. So mm -hmm. our biggest thing when we sat down is how do we make everyone's computer not overheat when it's processing all this information? Um, and so we made the exporter and it basically distilled down our complex models into very simple geometry that the rendering engine, the, v the VR engine could handle and people wouldn't get sick with, you know, lower frame rates and things like that. Um, and then once that went through um, and we, we got, we got kind of our first successful export um, without having to go into that, you know, the coding languages and things like that. Um, we started putting it in front of clients. So, you know, clients would, would go inside one of our, our spaces and they'd look around and then they, they just started asking to do things. Um, and that kind of, uh, made us make ways to do things inside VR. And that's why we call it the tool belt. So we basically just started making tools. Um, so I remember one of our first clients came in, uh, it was a restaurant space and, and he said, uh, well, how do I, can I move that table? I want these two tables to be closer together. And we were like, oh, we need a move tool. And then um, I think like two weeks later, he came back and said, well, what's the distance between these tables? And we were like, okay, we need a tape measure tool. Um, and then later, uh, I guess two or four weeks later, he's like, can I change this from wood to metal? And we were like, oh, we need a material tool. And it just kept on building and building and building. And um, it became this very interactive process uh, that we that we've um, really enjoyed with our clients where you're kind of getting direct feedback. You're not just on this 2D presentation and marking up a PDF and um, asking people what they think. They're they're kind of telling you what they think because they're experiencing it and they're they're changing it. Right. They're moving the table. Um, you know, they don't say move the table three inches because quite honestly, they don't know to move the table three inches. They it's the feel, right? They go, this seems about right. And then we tell them that you just move the table four inches. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very, uh, you get constant feedback instead of just kind of boring 2D presentations that take a long time to export. <laughs> yeah, I think that you mentioned things there that are super, super important because now we're not speaking only about architecture. Now we're into the field of tech and apps and which requires other type of optimization so this is like a merging now that is happening and i found that very interesting it is usually said yeah with the minimum viable product the best way to create this is that the actual client or potential client is you're building it as they are telling you what to do right that's yeah. the best way rather than building the whole tool and then waiting to see what happens so that experience there is a great example for us of how you know, these big companies uh, create these experiences and, and make sure on the way that it's actually what people is looking for. And so one issue that is big, that is in the industry, most people know about this, is the need for optimization. I think in architecture, at least that is my, my feeling about it. When I want to experience a property that I want to see built in real life, 
I expect these spaces with certain level of realism, right? I, I don't, I, I, I don't expect something that is a little bit cartoonish because it, then it feels the actual uh, look of how is that this is going to be for me to foresee in the future. Uh, that's how the house is going to be, let's say. So in terms of achieving that balance between realism performance for the optimization, what have been your breakthroughs? What um, if you have any example or what have been lessons that you've learned uh, based on that? Because work com coming to work from Revit to now using the platform, I guess there might be some challenges there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's two sides the optimization of um, you know your your technical model and then the optimization of what your client's experiencing, right? And um, you know, in, in the code we have a lot of really unique features and the exporter that mm -hmm. Jeff was able to develop that mm -hmm. um, it, it kind of just rearranges things in a way that, that, you know, that the VR engine can do things. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. So it, it auto tags all the floors and cause in Revit, uh, Revit knows that a floor is a floor and a ceiling is a ceiling and a wall is a wall. So it's, it's starting to take all those things um, and, and peel back all of the layers. Uh, but I think our biggest, our biggest thing we realized is when we, when we put clients into the picture of having to use this technology, you know, not all of our clients are architects, obviously, and they don't all have, um, you know, super complex computers. We, we, as architects normally have, uh, more powerful computers than normal people. Mm -hmm. But trying to find ways for everyone to be able to use this has been um, a big challenge. Uh, I remember the first time we uh, we had a client try it on their computer. It it literally went blue screen of death and the RAM had overheated everything and we felt horrible. I think we ended up offering to buy them a new computer. But huh. so it, it kind of it got really intense really quick. Mm -hmm. And it's only things that you really know until you get it out in front of people, which is Yes. a little sidetrack of like we we really enjoy having our clients be part of our R&D process we want them to uh be with us we we always say we don't want all the geeks in the basement and um you know hiding everything until it's perfect we want we want constant iteration and constant feedback um but ultimately the optimization that we ended up finding was a, a web-based platform um that we were able to host everything online mm -hmm. so that the the complex computing that was happening uh, was actually happening in the cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was able to just send certain types of, of feedback to the actual headset and computer screens themselves. And what that also did is allow us to reach both PCs and Macs um, in, in that process. But you know, the, the other optimization or I guess efficiencies that we're finding with the tool belt, you know, you mentioned aesthetics and um, you know, photo real versus cartoony and things like that. Uh, we're finding a lot of success when we use VR during the design process with our operators. So, for example, um, uh, companies that have logistics and let's say big uh, loading dock fleets or um, assembly lines or companies like restaurants who have chefs, uh, 
you know, every single kitchen, every single production facility is a little different. And we never imagined how useful it would be for them to actually act out uh, how they'd be using the space, not from how it looks, but how everything is laid out, put together. Uh, sometimes we'll get multiple people in VR and the two chefs will communicate to each other and we'll adjust shelf heights and things like that. Uh, you know, in a kitchen, communication is really big, especially between all of the chefs. And having that kind of testing the space out functionally and not just aesthetically has been really interesting to see kind of all the, the various clients that we have kind of go through there and, and what types of things they change in their design that they probably wouldn't have picked up just from like a 2D CAD block. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And by the way, now that we're speaking a little bit more onto the the experience that is not just coming into a building, a virtual or digital building, and just looking around, around there are even more things that clients can do there interact with elements as you were saying before which put us into the sometimes indirectly using traditional tools that have been used in gaming so i wonder how has been the view of you as an architectural firm using elements from gaming have you incorporated some yes or no have you have you had experiments tests tests with that yeah, uh, you know, it's it's actually funny. The other day we ended up, um, we altered a gaming system, uh, steering wheel and pedal uh, for one of our clients has this big complex they're making into a company that complex is a parking garage, uh, you know, simple parking garage, but it has to house uh, sprinter vans. And they asked if they could test drive uh, their fleet of sprinter vans inside the parking garage and so we hooked up a steering wheel and a gas pedal that's digital obviously um that you normally use for video games and things like that and we um we threw them uh into the vr uh vr model with the steering wheel and they got to test out their their sprinter vans through the parking garage which was pretty interesting we all got a kick out of you know just the the gamified experience mm -hmm. of of design and you know, things that you pick up on and, uh, you know, also just having fun inside of your environment. I will say every time we, uh, there's physics engines inside virtual environments, you know, gravity, things like that. We always have to turn that off because our clients sit there and they throw the furniture all around and make it like bounce off things and float, float on things. So we always have to kind of keep them a little bit more on task uh, <laughs> with when turning the physics off. Otherwise they keep playing. <laughs> Oh yeah, they, they keep on playing. It's yeah. so fun. It's so fun. And and I, I this is a huge breakthrough for a traditional architect. I think I think this is like seeing another perspective, another thing. It's like, oh, where this is going now? Like if this is happening now. So that's interesting. And uh speaking about that, what are your your thoughts? Like it it's every human being have a specific idea about interacting with the technology, the direct results that they see, the interactions with the clients, their behaviors, et cetera, plus what we know that might be their interesting applications with the technology we use our imagination, et cetera. So based on those things, I wonder 
where do you think that particularly architecture is going? Like I imagine, for example, AI at some point is going to deeply merge with XR. So we're going to have spaces that are intelligent and that is going to have sort of like intelligent beings in it. What are your thoughts about where, where, where do you feel that this is going, especially in architecture? What have been your reflections? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. Um, I mean, there's just so many roads and paths that it can go down. And, mm-hmm. you know, architecture, just as an industry as a whole, is there's a lot of different types of architects out there, and there's a lot of different types of projects. There's small projects, big projects, residential projects, commercial projects. Mm-hmm. And then even within those categories, there's 15,000 square foot projects, and then there's 2 million square foot projects. And, um, Every single uh, firm has a different way of doing things. And I think there's different technologies that really fit each individual project. Um, You know, when it comes to kind of, you know, the AI takeover, whatever people are theorizing, I I really do think um, there's so many nuts and bolts to design. uh, And and there's, there's no way that that AI is going to be able to do kind of completely take over the job. But do I think it will redirect? I, I certainly do. I think that, um, you know, there there are standards out there. There's a reason a door is normally seven feet tall and three feet wide, because that's, you know, the average way of doing things. When you get into complex, you know, specialized uh, design, you know, maybe it, it changes a little, but there are a lot of typical inputs that AI and generative design and computer learning could could make uh, easier for us so that we can actually focus on the things that need designed, need um, advancement, um, can envision new ways of doing things, new ways of creating things. That's any architect's dream. We were talking about, you know, school earlier. Everyone's dream is to create a new environment and a new way of feeling, a new aesthetic, things like that. And perhaps maybe AI's place is just to do the mundane things that is standardized so that we can focus on the fun things and not the mundane things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that's amazing. Definitely there are cert- like different different avenues and different applications. We could even spend way more time discussing about another topic that I wanted to speak, but we can we can add a couple of notes later about 3D printing and drones, because it seems you also experiment with drones and scanning method, etc., which is another another way like huge field. I'm excited. So I'm mentioning here what is the, the lab doing, but I like to close maybe with certain specific questions related with the tool belt that you mentioned so right now is a is a tool that is very of course part of the research and part of maybe practical insights and methods for Mancini Duffy but do you plan to have this tool or is it open to other architectural firms or how how do you envision the evolvement of the tool yeah, uh, it's a good question. We we actually had a summer initiative to try to bring the tool belt a little bit more external facing. Right now it is in a, an exclusive tool mm. uh, that everyone in Mancini Duffy uses. It, it is available um, online um, at thetoolbelt.com, but it, uh, you know, it's, it's in a beta form 
obviously when you when you have a complex software like that that's um you you never know what's going to happen so outside users do have it uh you know they can they can always contact us if they want to test it but we do have um a version coming out here i think um probably in the next three three months that will be available for download obviously it will have you know a couple watermarks about beta on it um just because we you know we don't want to over promise things mm-hmm. um but but you know it, it is the intention for it to be external um i think with that we we really do believe in design um and we believe in kind of resources and efficiencies and that doesn't have to be just mancini um and i think accessibility to technology is a big thing that i think this profession uh, you know, needs not, not about all kind of like the, the black cape firms. It's more of, you know, the smaller firms, maybe not in, in New York city, but, uh, kind of anywhere, um, in the U S or even the world that, uh, maybe doesn't have the, the resources that a firm like Mancini Duffy has, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're a larger firm in the grand scheme of things. Um, and we, we do get to play with technology on a daily basis, which is always fun. Uh, but I do think access to technology outside of our firm uh, would be something that we could do, you know, for for others. And I think it's something that, you know, Mancini is committed to 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 just kind of opening the discussion of of that technology. And quite honestly, it will help us make it better. You know, when more users use it, we we get more feedback. Mm, yeah, that's exciting. That right there is super super great to hear because when you were mentioning that there was some method that was used. Of course, we have to test it and and help, of course, the tool to grow with feedback. But when you were mentioning those particular capabilities of helping, especially with that optimization, or that is something like a good, good tool that we are looking for, just just, for sure. So thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything else that you wish I had asked you today, Michael? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, uh, I probably talked too much. We, uh, we definitely went through, through a lot. Um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's definitely just a, it's a fun, it's a fun space for us. And I think, um, you know, going back to, to just the, the design lab in general, I think there's, if, if architecture had to have a ROI, I think it would be decision-making. And I think um, extracting decision making out of out of your clients, uh, but also being able to um, make decisions internally, uh, both with your, you know, kind of your inner workings of your own mind as a designer and uh, with your teammates. And um, I think, you know, the biggest thing out of the lab is just how do you improve decision making? And I think all these tools, all these technologies really help with that um you know 3d printing uh virtual reality ai things like that it's just getting the decisions made to to make a better design a more efficient design uh for you and your clients Mm, yeah that sounds exciting so could you please let us know before we go again the website where people can start checking and becoming familiar with the tool yeah so our website is thetoolbelt.com and so that's a tool belt specific website. Uh, you know, it's it's branded outside of Mancini because when we first made it, we figured it, it might 
it might grow outside one day. So it has its own website. And then obviously uh, our firm and more uh, research projects that we've been doing in the design lab can be found at mancini.duffy.com. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing, insightful conversation because this intersection with architecture, design, art, technology is a unique one as we see right now. Even it has a spark in myself. The role of architects designers is like architect designers have to come one or what's going on. So that's super interesting always to discuss these breakthroughs. Thank you so much. It has been amazing. And uh, yeah, we wish you all the best with the tool bed. We, of course, definitely we're going to invite anybody to check the tool so that we can, you know, start to start to gain these uh, insights on where the technology is going, what you guys have been doing and how these type of tools can help us with our own projects. Thank you Definitely. so much and see you in the next episode. Bye for All right. Now. Thank you.